being rooted in a relationship with Christ and a family of God are the two things we can do in the very beginning to begin to heal and to be able to have the hard and holy conversations that need to happen. But if we isolate ourselves behind our keyboards and we just wallow in these groups of deconstructing and despondence, we are never going to come out of our pit. This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. From the second chair, for the second chair. Welcome to the Leading Second Podcast. This is a space we've created for anyone who leads from the middle. So if you're trying to serve well and lead strong for the kingdom, for your church, for your pastor, then you are in good company. Welcome and just consider yourself part of the tribe, part of the family. Uh, My name is Clark. I'm one of the team members here at Leading Second, and I'm so glad you're here that you've joined us and we've got another great episode in store for you today. Uh, Before we jump in, I I wanna personally invite you to Leading Second Camp 2023. This is an event that's near and dear to my heart. It's our flagship annual gathering for the Leading Second Tribe. So this year, Leading Second Camp is in two wonderful cities, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Calgary, Alberta. It's your time to be renewed and realigned and equipped for your role in church life. You'll experience a conference style event where you're gonna be in a small intimate setting surrounded by peers in ministry, people in the same second chair that you are. Let's check this out. Leading second is a call to be uncommon. Uncommon does not mean to be better than It means to be different from. In 2023, the journey continues. The leading second tribe gathers again. Calling all church builders, executive pastors, campus pastors, lead team members for inspiration. I'm actually calling you to be the exception for impartation. My assignment today is to be your Jonathan to remind you that God is for you and he's got great things inside of you. But if you don't know how to carry the burden, you'll walk away. That we may be found faithful. I'm actually calling you to be the exception, to be the one that carries this when no one around you seems to carry it. For more information and to register, visit leadingsecondcamp.com. Well, there you have it. It's coming up quick, February 22nd through the 23rd for Salt Lake City and March 8th for Calgary. If you're an executive pastor, a campus pastor, or a lead team member, we would count it an honor to have you there. We expect this to fill up. So to learn more and register, go to leadingsecondcamp.com. For today's interview, we're honored to welcome Natalie Runyon to the podcast. You may know her by her Instagram handle, Raised to Stay. Uh, We love her perspective and the healthy conversations she's starting 
around ministry and leadership. And today, Brandon sits down with her to talk about church hurt. And to get the most out of this conversation, I would encourage you, we have an episode guide and you can download it. It's a resource available for you to maximize the content of this episode. Because like we said at the very beginning, we wanna equip the local church. So use it with your team to jumpstart conversation, or you can use it for your own personal growth. And you can find that at our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. Well, let's jump in to the conversation. Well, Natalie, welcome to the Leading Second Podcast. So excited uh, to have you with us today. Glad you're here. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's always an honor to join other people's platforms and families. So thank you. Absolutely. And I just want to take a minute and um, honor you and thank you for uh, the conversation that you have elevated and the work that you're doing um, with Raise to Stay. I believe you're elevating a really important conversation that we need to be having in the church. And I have seen how your words just regularly uh, reverberate through our tribe. I see you reposted all the time on my feed. So just a big thank you uh, to you for being someone who loves the church, but is is willing and ready to have the conversations we need to have about it. Yeah, it's overwhelming myself to see the black boxes in my own stories. Um, But it's something that I know must be resonating with us because people only share the things that really pierce their hearts. Like I'm very stingy about what I share. So I, um, I am honored and I feel very grateful to partner with so many amazing voices in the church, uh, bringing unity into the house. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's out of that platform today. We just say right off the bat that we have this conversation. We are having this conversation on the platform of loving the church, wanting to build the church. Natalie, as you just said, just wanting to see unity in the house. So I just want to say before we get into it, because we're going to get into it today, <laughs> I just want to say that that's our platform. And, yes. and um, we, we, you know, the church is, is God's idea and it's holy and it's his bride. And Natalie, don't you kind of see us? I, I, I adopted this thinking a few years ago. I kind of see us as wedding planners. You know, we're here getting the bride ready for her day, right? And that's what we're doing here today. (laughs) Yes, I got chills when you said that because really like our generation is getting to watch something really beautiful take place. And I am just sensing like this anticipation, like a wedding, like we're going to see it. (laughs) I believe so. I believe it. Okay. So let's just start um, at the beginning. Tell us your story. Uh, tell us about how you arrived at your your current place of ministry. You're the pastor of women at New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Um, and then, you know, along with your story, uh, why did you start this conversation on Raised to Stay? So I'm a pastor's kid, born and raised Midwest, Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I was a Pentecostal preacher's kid all the way up through college. And when I got to college, my parents had walked out a really hard season in ministry. And I kind of was like, hey, if this is the church, I don't know that I want to make it my vocation. I don't know if I want to bring my own children and family into it in the future. So I made a huge decision to go to a secular university, a public university in Ohio, majored in science. And really, it's kind of like you can run, but you can't hide. Like when God has a call on your life, 
you can go a million different directions, but at some point he's going to nail you down. And so (laughs) over the last 25 years, it's been everything in my power to not be in ministry. And yet God just kept bringing me back. But as a result Mm. of that, there was a lot of my own church hurt. I went from being a pastor's kid and seeing it in my family with my parents to being married and having two children and walking out church hurt, church disappointment as an adult and kind of always a little bit of every day wanting to quit. And so when I turned 40, my family had moved from Cincinnati to Colorado. I was living the dream. I was leading worship with this amazing team. I finally Mm -hmm. thought, oh my gosh, all of the crazy is making sense now. Now God Mm -hmm. has brought me to my promised land and the next 40 years are just going to be awesome. And what I realized is that we're never really done in the trenches. We're, we're always, if we're in ministry, we're always going to just have that little nagging feeling of, man, it would just be easier to be a Starbucks barista if we're being honest. Oh my and gosh. Yes. <laughs> I, I had this moment where I'm like, Lord, I'm done. Things are hard. Wow. I don't want to keep doing this. And it was on that walk with the Lord in June of 2019 that I told him I wanted to quit. Mm. And I was very honest. That was not me kind of like, oh, being cute. This was a full out temper tantrum on the sidewalk in Colorado Springs. And the Lord and I had to do some business. And finally, in my head, I literally heard the phrase raised to stay. Mm. And I started just weeping on the sidewalk because I knew that I was going to have to let go of some identity things and some idols to grab hold of this new season. And so I ran home with the dog, which is hard to do in altitude in Colorado, ran (laughs) home, Googled raised to stay. And there was nothing, there was nothing. And I knew that was a download from the Holy spirit. And so I wrote my first black box. I wrote the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I knew that the church was made up of people. So of course the church had hurt me before, but I just couldn't help but wonder what this raise to stay thing was. So I started writing these black boxes um, three years ago with about 50 people in the community. And today I think we're like 60,000 strong. So the Lord's good. (laughs) Absolutely. And I just have to say this, I think I've said this before, you know, across different things with leading second, but it resonates with me so deeply because of my own journey with starting leading second was a day. Um, I want to say it was early in 2017 and, um, it been active in ministry for a long time, but I was also, um, kind of on the verge of, of quitting. If I'm honest with you, like I had written an email to my pastor saying I need to back off of some responsibilities. I mean, I was just not, doing well. And, um, I, I think God brings us to those moments in his sovereignty because he just, you know, he's, he's trying to bring something new through us. And so I, it was, you know, I remember kind of where I was one of those days, but the, the phrase that, that hit my heart, honestly, like the guts of leading second, if you want to get down to it is just help leaders, not quit <laughs> help. And, and it's no more, pretty than that in my heart of just everything we're doing is just stay in the game, run your race, you know? So hearing your story, it's just resonated so deeply with me. And I wanted to, again, just thank you for it because you're giving language, I believe, and you're giving um, a voice to people that really want to get it right in the church among 
so many voices. I don't know about your social media feed. I mine is just dominated by the opposite sometimes. Of of I, I ended up on deconstruction TikTok TikTok somehow, you know, and it's just horrible. It's just, you know, every every reason to not stay. And yet I want to stay. And so thank you for, you know, you're just giving giving voice to that side of so many of us that I know, yeah. you know, really do want to get it right. So here's what we're going to do today. As you've mentioned, we're going to talk about church hurt and we're just going to go there. And I, I trust you and I trust your perspective enough to kind of have a, a risky conversation today because um, I, I think this needs to be in the mix among so many voices that want to talk us straight out of the church I think we need some patterns on how to navigate and and stay uh, even when we have um, experienced it. So maybe just start by this, Natalie, help me diagnose the problem just from your seat on the bus, from your perspective, like what is church hurt? It's kind of a phrase that gets thrown around, but what are we talking about when we say that? For me, I see it as three different conversations. I see it as a conversation for those who have church offense, those Mm. who have church hurt, and those who have church abuse or church trauma. Mm. And And I think that all three exist across the board, but I would say what probably 80% of those deconstruction, those deconstructing have actually walked through is more church offense and church hurt. I Mm. think the lesser percentage is actual church abuse and church trauma, but because that church abuse has become such a sexy thing to talk about, it gets you followers, it gets you likes, it gets you attention. There are so many people who would rather sit as victims and kind of wallow in that pain and let that offense and um, hurt take root to abuse that now we're misdiagnosing ourselves mm. on deconstruction TikTok because now people are just wallowing in the pain together and nobody is actually actively working towards healing. And that is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing, I'm not trying to gaslight anyone. I do believe that we have been offended. I do believe that we have been hurt. And unfortunately, I do believe that there have been many who have been abused and who have been traumatized. However, part of our healing is having these conversations to be able to pull each other out of the pit and begin the healing processes to walk as victors. And the enemy doesn't want us walking in victory. He wants us victims. And that's what I'm seeing right now. Mm. Well, well said. And I think you, I'm taking notes as you're talking, literally, I think you've already just given us some lanes for diagnosis. Let me ask you this though. I I have no doubt that people have been deconstructing throughout church history. This is, this is nothing new in some ways. This is, this is going to go back to day one, you know, in the book of Acts or something. So um, it's not that it's new, but would you agree that it feels elevated right now? And, And if so, why is this conversation so elevated in our culture? Social media has been, I think, the greatest catalyst because what it does is if you think about being in a concert, if you're in a concert with 200,000 people and one person yells fire or one person Mm. screams bomb, 
it's enough of a ripple effect that it initially starts with the people who are around them. And then before you know it, you're on a full blown stampede out of the building. And I think that's what's happened in social media is that Mm. enough big voices have screamed fire and Mm. the people around them started running. And then we all started running and that's chaos. And we know that God is not the author of confusion. So who's causing that chaos? It's the enemy. And so that's what I am noticing in social media is we're just kind of sitting with people who have big enough voices to make us all terrified. And then we're Mm. reacting out of fear, not out of wisdom. Mm. Yeah, very well said. That's a great analogy. Um, So let me ask you this. How are we getting the conversation wrong? It's it's elevated. Yeah. And it's happening. Um, So... Let's just start there. How are we getting it wrong right now? I am all for a healthy deconstruction if you have the infrastructure in your life to help you rebuild. Mm. I think Christians from day one have been detangling from harmful, toxic theology. And we have had a bunch of uh, experiences where we have had encounters with the Holy spirit, but our formation has lacked. And so now as we're understanding true spiritual formation, we're like, well, wait a minute, that wasn't actually true theology that I learned growing up. I want to detangle or unravel from that so that I can walk in grace and truth and not walk in condemnation and shame. Those are all beautiful things that God has given us. But I think we have lost our conversation here by calling it all deconstruction Mm. because some people need to deconstruct and they've got the system around them to build something into a healthy theological view of who God is in the church. But Mm. most of the people who are truly deconstructing have no intention of rebuilding. And that's where that I get scared in all of the holiest of reasons (laughs) Um, when I see the enemy just letting us tear things down without any hope of rebuilding. Yeah. And, and really, you know, changing the game, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, certain aspects of popular or secular culture right now kind of referred to as being the difference between Mac and PC. You know, it's, it's like two different that you know, the kingdom of this world versus the kingdom of God. It's like two different operating systems that do not work together. You know, they don't operate on. And, and I, I think sadly, you know, rather than deconstructing, I think we've seen people reboot, you know, and reboot to a completely different um, kingdom, a completely different mindset, a completely different operating system, if you will. And would you not agree? I, I feel like that that's been the scary part for me. Yeah. Is the adoption of a completely different set of values. Well, and if we look at if we look at Exodus one, we see where Pharaoh is is demanding that all of the baby boys are killed. Because he doesn't want Israel to grow. The, the, the growth of Israel was the grief of Egypt, right? Sure, so yeah. we've got this Pharaoh who's like trying to get all of the um, Hebrew children to a place where in the Hebrew families where they're not growing, they're not multiplying. There is no advancement in that, in that knowing that there had been a, prop, a promise to Abraham and Sarah. So the whole point of Pharaoh was to get rid of these people who love Jesus and love God or love God. And so now we look at the enemy's strategy for the church and it's almost identical. He's trying to get us from 
reproducing. He's trying to get us from actually being able to build something because the growth of the church is the grief of the kingdom of darkness. And so Mm. that's what I'm, I'm seeing right now is the enemy strategy, which is not new strategy, but we are falling for it. Line sink hook because you know, all of it, because we all just are, um, we're in that panic that we're in that panic place and we need more midwives, like the ones who helped rescue those babies. We need more midwives sitting with us and teaching us how to breathe and refusing to hand over the thing that God is birthing out of us as a church. And we're just surrendering it now. Like we have, like, we're just like, here, just take it. I'm just too tired. Um, and I want to see more warriors rise up. I want to see more people who are willing to fight for each other and not just hand us over to an enemy. Me too. Me too. That's beautiful. Well said. So I just asked you how we're getting it wrong. How do we get it right? And you just, you just took, started taking this down that path. So, you know, let's, let's not just tear down here. Let's build up. So how how do we, how do we get it right? What what are the right, the right moments, the right context for it? Well, first of all, I think we need to remember that we're all human and even though we've been hurt, we've also been responsible for hurting others. I think owning our own hurt, owning our own healing is number one, where we go to the father, we have a relationship with Jesus and we really start self-diagnosing, um, where we are losing, um, our own patience with people. I think counseling, all those things are amazing. But the big thing is community. When we are in a committed community in the family of God, as dysfunctional as it is, there's mentorship there, there's discipleship there, there's a spiritual covering there. And yes, people are going to get it wrong. We're going to mess up. We're going to hurt people. But ultimately the kingdom of God, the family of God is good and it's right. And Jesus loves his church. And so I think being rooted in a relationship with Christ and a family of God are the two things we can do in the very beginning to begin to heal and to be able to have the hard and holy conversations that need to happen. But if we isolate ourselves behind our keyboards and we just wallow in these groups of deconstructing and despondence, we are never going to come out of our pit. (laughs) Hands down. It's so true. It's so true. It's so true. Let me ask you on a personal note. I mean, does your does your own story include church hurt? I mean, I can imagine the answer, but but where, where does it show up in your story? It shows up in two primary places. Once at my most formative years of 17 and 18 with my family, where we had trusted a church body our entire lives. It was all we knew. And one Sunday we show up and we don't get to say goodbye or anything. We're just told this is your last Sunday. Good Say your goodbyes. It was a immediate exodus out the door. It was... Like I was being Hmm. sent to exile and we had to pack up our parsonage. We lived in the house next door to the church. And my senior year of high school, we lived over a barn while my dad looked for a job for the first time in my life. He turned his license in. It was like, I didn't know who I was if I wasn't a pastor's kid. The people who loved me the most had just betrayed us in the most horrible way. And that really took me on my own wandering journey of like, who is the church? How are we supposed to behave I felt like David who wanted to kill Saul. I just wanted everyone to die, right? I wanted everyone to just have, I wanted vengeance so bad. I've never felt that kind of anger before. And then once I healed from that and I went into adult ministry, all I found was more of the same, different faces, but the same 
thing and just kept thinking, God, if this is your church, then no wonder the world doesn't want anything to do with us. We are hateful. We're a little narcissistic. There's a, there's a tendency to be, um, controlling. And, and I think over time I started to get a little bit, like, I didn't know how to defend the church anymore. Cause I myself was seeing it in everywhere, everywhere I went. And it finally got to a point where the Lord really just started dealing with me personally and saying, Natalie, do you love me? I do. Then feed my sheep. Okay. There it is. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Don't worry to the right or to the left. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And I went from having eyes out to the left and to the right and started looking ahead and just saying, God, then show me what you want me to do. And I'll be obedient to that. And that began the healing journey for me. Mm. In the moments where you experienced, you know, church hurt, and it's, it's so easy to talk about it now in some ways on a podcast, it's so much harder to, to live it in those moments. You know, those, those, are, those can be dark moments and those can be painful moments. What were your anchors to your faith? Like where, where did you run in scripture or where did you run in, in, in your mind, in your thinking, I guess, in those moments? Well, honestly, my husband is probably the main reason I'm still here. He's not a pastor's kid. He He's not in ministry. But I would lay on the couch and I would cry and I would say, I'm sorry. I'm mm-hmm. the reason we're here. I, I, I'm I blowing everything up. I'm messing everything up. And maybe God doesn't want me to be in ministry. And, and he would sit with me and he would say things like, Natalie, do you trust that the same Holy Spirit that is leading and guiding us every single day is leading and guiding the leadership of the church that we are at? And I had to say yes. And he said, then we then we stay and we figure out what God is doing because there has to be some sort of a promised land past this Egypt. We, we have to believe that. So my husband, but number two, I would say I started studying Paul a lot. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is so honest with us in chapters 11 and 12, talking all about like, look, I've been in the wilderness. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've seen false prophets. I've been lied to by my own people. He just gives us this laundry list of like all of the reasons any person would quit. And I kind of got to the point where I'm like, Paul, why you keep getting back in the boat, buddy? Like you keep getting (laughs) shipwrecked. Like I, at this point I'd be selling some material on the side of the road. Like I'm done with the gospel. And I get to that chapter 12 where he's saying, I asked the Lord three times to take this thorn from my flesh. And each time God's response was my grace is sufficient for you for it's in your weakness that you are made strong. And, and that's where I was like anchored to is like, God, if, if you are asking me to get back in the boat, I have to believe that the reward is going to outweigh the risk. And so I'm going to get back in and I'm mad about it. And I'm actually (laughs) kind of jaded and probably a little edgy, but I believe that you're going to show me why this is happening. And those two things, my husband and then my own family who's still in ministry and then good old Paul, (laughs) Paul's holding down the fort with me. (laughs) Um, Wow. And, and don't you think, God is way more faithful with our pain than I think sometimes we have a vision for. Sometimes we give credit for, I mean, I I don't believe he wastes it. I I don't believe it's, you know, we experience these things because he's unkind. I actually believe, I guess my theology is that there's a permission granted sometimes uh, to allow us to go through things for, for formative purposes. And I guess I'd love your, your, your take on that. I mean, how, 
how did that experience form and shape you in a way that the good times didn't? Yeah. I love Paul and Silas. I, I love their story because, you know, they were just doing their thing. You know, they were honoring God. They were going city to city with Luke and right. Timothy and, and they were being, they were being obedient. And there were some days like at the house of Lydia where they saw miracles and people getting baptized. And then on their way to prayer, it says in Acts 16, that they come across this girl who's uh, demon possessed and she's screaming their identity out across the entire city. And because Paul and Silas were Jewish, they were the ones that were captured and put into prison. And it says that they could have lamented, but they began to sing songs of praise. And had they chosen to lament, nobody would blame them. I mean, they were they wow. were literally chained and they were in uh, being beaten for, for helping people. And I think about it all the time that in that moment, that is when God began to shake the very foundations Absolutely. of the political system and all of the things that had got them in there, God shook that foundation. And it was then that he created an earthquake that didn't trap them, but it set everyone free. And from there, the jailer himself had a Lydia encounter with the Lord. And right. there was, there was this moment where nobody would have blamed them if they would have ran away from the pain but they chose to sit in it and not rush the process because they knew God wanted to finish what he started. And that has mm. been for me, the pain reminds me that God is still working when it hurts. Mm. He's still working and there must yep. be something he's stretching me in. Um, and so I count it pure joy, right? <laughs> we count yeah. it pure joy in our suffering. And, and I think what I'm hoping to provide here for someone listening is a moment where maybe those of us who are just a, touch farther down the track, you, you can start to hear the redemption from pain. You can start to hear the redemption. So, so to the person facing this right now, and you, that'll give you an anchor to know that God is really faithful in those moments and in those seasons. Let, let me switch to leadership though, and, and ask you this question. When people have experienced church hurt in our, in our churches, in the areas that we lead, what do you think they need from us the most? They need us to be good listeners and they, they don't need us to fix it. I'm learning. When mm. I was walking through mine, I just needed someone to believe me. I, I just mm. needed someone to hear what I was saying. And even though it sounded crazy, because a lot of the church hurt we go through is narcissistic. It's hidden. Mm. The, the people who are hurting us are really good actors. They're very good at pinching under the table and nobody can detect it. And so mm -hmm. you're over here and you're feeling this pain from a leader you're supposed to trust. And then you go to another leader and you tell them, and then you're the problem. You're the gossip. You're the one who's causing the chaos. And I think what our people need is they need us to listen to them and to believe them. Even if it ends up not being true in the end. Even if there needs to be some sort of like an investigation or whatever, we as the church, as leaders, we owe them a listening ear and we owe them action, whether it's Matthew 18, whether it's using human resources, whatever that is, we can only get to the bottom of things if we're willing to acknowledge it's happening. So I really believe we owe them not a gaslighting conversation where we're kind of pushing it back on them, but we're really listening to what they're saying and taking notes, documenting well, and doing our due diligence. Very well said. Very well said. So what would you say just right to the heart 
of the leader who wants to get it right, who wants to help others get it right in this season of kind of this elevated church hurt conversation? Like, what would you just say straight to their heart right now to help them navigate through these interesting conversations and moments? You know, I think the biggest thing we can offer people is a Jesus who is not rushing them to heal, rushing them back into being a volunteer, rushing them back Mm. into immediate community. We need to give people space to grieve what has been lost, whether we agree with it being hurt, abuse, or trauma, whatever. We need to give space for people to mourn and to really come to their own understanding that people Christians in particular are not perfect, that leaders that they believed were going to be with them to the the very end, that they're not perfect. And we need to keep pointing them back to a perfect Jesus. And that is what is hard. I think for a lot of us is that we get defensive, we get territorial. We, we want to stick up for the church and make her just be this thing that she's not. And I think honest conversation of saying, I can imagine that was hurtful. I can imagine that that was really painful. I can imagine that your heart is broken. We don't have to know what they went through to sit with them in their pain. But I will be honest, Christians don't know how to wrestle with each other very well. And, Mm. you know, the message version in the Beatitude says, blessed are those at the end of their rope. And I have learned that when I come to the end of myself, it's where Christ can begin. And some of us need to be better at sitting at the end of the rope with people and not trying Mm. to tie our theology or our uh, methods to their pain. Mm, That's so brilliantly said. And I think sometimes we rush to give people an argument. And I think we even rush to give people wisdom. And maybe there's a time and a place for those. But don't you think sometimes people just need Jesus? And, yes. and they, they, they need Jesus more than they need my wisdom, you know? Yeah. And, and I really just need to offer that perspective back to them that maybe yeah. they've lost maybe they're they're you know grasping for so i was just reading this morning in acts chapter 6 and 7 um where stephen is brought into essentially leadership uh he's, he's given this, this new role of leadership of course the disciples are talking about the distribution of food and their focus on the word of god and i find it so interesting that you know, Stephen's elevated into this essentially leadership position and his first ministry opportunity is to be stoned to death <laughs> is really what happens. It, 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 degra- it goes downhill very quickly for him. And in one chapter, um, he loses his life because of church leadership. So uh, this is a pretty astounding moment in scripture. And what jumped off the page to me yet again today when I was reading was he's being stoned and while he's being stoned, he's praying, God, forgive them. You know, kind of echoing Jesus, Jesus' prayer. They, they don't know what they do, you know? And it just hit me all over again. What, what do you have to do? What does the meditation of your heart have to be to find yourself at that place? You know, where be, he was being stoned and losing his life for being in ministry and yet to retain that. I don't know. It it, it was just so beautiful to me again in scripture today. So I wanted to ask you this. 
Let's talk about the person who is experiencing church hurt because of a leadership position in ministry, that the, the hurt could be coming from a situation in ministry. It could even be coming from some sort of disagreement or misalignment with their own pastor. I mean, I'm not trying to you know, say we feel like we're being stoned to death, but I think sometimes it feels really painful where I, you know, I'm, this is happening to me and it's happening to me because I've answered God's call and God's assignment on my life to lead and to be in ministry. I guess, what would you say to that leader who might be experiencing that today? Unfortunately, uh, man, I mean, most of the church hurt and abuse that I have seen has come at the hands of another church leader who is an oversight or Mm. a boss of a person who's just, Hey, I'm here to be in ministry. I just, I'm going to be a subordinate. I'm going to be submissive. And as a result, that kindness is taken advantage of, or there is, they become a threat to an older person Mm. or whatever that might be. And I would say, first of all, all of us need to go into ministry understanding that we're, we're going to get hurt. There is no yeah. way we're going to go into ministry and not be hurt. However, we are also not called to be walking mats. We are not called to sit under toxic Correct. people. And so there's a fine line of wisdom and also authority. It says that we are to be wise as serpent and gentle as doves. And so I think mm. there's a, a point where we do kind of give people benefit of the doubt. But for those people who have been hurt at the hands of leaders, first of all, I would say, I'm so sorry. Um, I believe you. I've lived it. I don't believe you're making it up. I don't believe you're embellishing. I, I have seen it with my own eyes. I have lived it. And it is one of the reasons why I wanted to quit as many times as I have. But I will tell you that for every Judas at your table, there is a Paul. There is someone who is going to lift you up, someone who's going to speak life into you, someone who believes in the gifts and the talents that God has given you. And if you just get up from the table because Judas is making life hard, you're going to miss your Paul. And so I would say, I know your Judas has almost killed you, but your Paul is on the way and Mm. use your voice. Use the resources that your church has from HR to hire, elevate people that are over that abuser. And when you can stay, stay. But when you need to go, you need to go. You need to dust that, you know, get that dust off your feet and you need to move on. Because you guys, leaving and going are two different things. And sometimes God will make it hard for you to stay so that you can move on to the new thing. So discernment is key. Um, but also using the resources at hand, stay, if you can move on, if you have to. Well said. And what, what infrastructure do you think that leader needs around them? Like what, what people do they need to have in their pocket? Is this, is this a counselor? Is it a mentor? Like, like, like what's the structure around that person as they address and attempt to heal through that situation? You definitely need to have someone in your life who is a spiritual mentor or director in in the system. So whether it's another pastor in the church or someone who is in the system. So I don't mean a congregant because that becomes divisive, but someone within your organizational chart that you can go to who's a safe place. Number one. Number two, you need a mentor or discipler who's not in your infrastructure at all, preferably somebody out of state who has no contact with that church that you can call and get advice from, be it a lawyer. Sometimes we need lawyers, Um, another pastor, another leader that's not attached. 
you do need an HR department. Churches, if you do not have an HR person, at least, you are like really on the fringe of like some legal junk. And there needs to be somebody in your church that can represent your people well without any any agenda. Somebody who is completely not that's legally liable for what's happening under your roof. I think HR is actually really vital. And then counseling Mm. is so underrated counseling and spiritual direction. Those are two vital pieces and guys never underestimate the power of medication. I know it's taboo. I know that taking anti-anxiety and antidepressants is taboo in a lot of churches, but I am telling you that Jesus is why I'm still here and Zoloft is why I'm still here. So let's just be real. So never underestimate the power of a good counselor and medication. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you. So the bottom line for me of wanting to talk to you today is is exactly what it says on your Instagram bio. We should have quit why we choose to stay. So I'm just going to, the, the biggest question I could ask you, why did you stay? This is, this is raised to stay. Why did you stay? I'll tell you when you see the faithfulness of God in your life and you see miracles and you can't unsee that stuff. I stayed because of Jesus. I didn't stay for people. Nobody deserves my staying. Nobody deserves my forgiveness. I, I tell that to people all the time. Like, People are not, they can't be the reason we stay. They, they can't. Our positions can't be the reason we stay. Um, our income can't be the reasons we stay. Uh, the comfort, because all of those things can pass away. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's our reason, then he is the reason that is everlasting. And he's the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And so what he started, he'll finish. And so that's why I stayed, because there was just this little bit of curiosity in me of, wow, God, the faithfulness I have seen in the land of the living, I want to see it all the way through. And even on my worst days, I just go back to Jesus. He is the North star. Mm. Well said. I, I absolutely adore your perspective in your heart. I appreciate it so much. If someone listening wants to um, connect with you or hear you further, obviously, uh, you have a robust Instagram account, but are there any things or resources from there that um, people could connect with? Yeah. So I have a website, raisedestay.com. There's merch and fun things like that. And you can send me an email or a message through my website. And then I answer all of my DMs, not always timely, but I do run my <laughs> own account. Um, yeah. I'm a true artist. I really am. So I'm a little slow on the text and DMs, but I try really hard to respond to everyone. I can't follow everyone, but I do try to respond. And then, you know, I am probably in the next couple of months going to launch a mentor program that will run for a year and we will dive deep into healing and to just how to use our pain for the glory of God. And I'm really excited about that. And then at the end of July or the end of November and starting all the way through July, the book that I've been working on that is all these black boxes kind of in one space um, will be up for pre-order. And I'm hoping that'll Mm. be a really great resource for people. Good. I was hoping you were going to say it. There it is. (laughs) I we're, we're excited for you. And I think everybody should grab that and and connect with those places. It's going to be so helpful. Natalie, thank you so much for the conversation today. I really (laughs) appreciate it. I'm going to ask you one more question just to land the plane, give you a, 
inspirational final word here. Um, what's your greatest prayer for the local church in this season? My prayer is for unity in the Lord, for there to be just this impenetrable unity and deep love for one another that, that just imitates how God loves us. Um, if I could, I, I would love to read this black box from October 25th um, that I posted that I would just say is a note to all of us stayers that are out there um, because it is for the joy set before us. And that's just this. You'll want to quit a little every day. You will ask the Lord to take the thorn from your flesh to let the cup pass you by. You will ask for the cross to be lighter, the burdens to be lifted for friends who will tarry with you for just a few minutes longer as you face unimaginable pain, loss, and unknowns. There will be moments that you'll be tempted to call down 10,000 angels to your rescue, but you have a Jesus who demonstrated endurance for the joy set before him. And that joy wasn't his own reputation, but our salvation. So watch the savior closely, eyes up, arms wide, voice strong. It was in his own betrayal that he was welcoming a thief into the kingdom. In his humiliation, scorning shame, oh hell, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Observe your king who didn't try to save himself, but stayed to save you and me. It was in his resurrection, he got up and got out, rolling rock, shaking ground. You only get an empty tomb if you're willing to be buried. And that's the scary part. Trusting the promise of new life is on the other side of the suffering. I know you're tired. Come all who are weary. I know you are worn. Come all who are heavy laden. Following Jesus comes with a cross, but ends in a resurrection. Stay in position. Hold on just one more day. Joy comes in the morning and you're almost through the night. Beautiful, beautiful. Well said. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you. find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. 